Hey there, podcast friends. So glad you are back with us again this month. This is The Well Podcast. I'm Amber, and I'm your host. This month, we had a great turnout to the live event, and we've created an even better space on the website to connect with you all. We are growing and learning all the time. Keep sending us comments and ideas and all of your great feedback. We won't know what you like or what you need to hear if you don't tell us. Our guest this month is Dawn. If you have ever visited our church, especially if you have kids, you have probably met Dawn or for sure seen her impact here. Although she speaks modestly of herself, I will brag on her because I can. She's not here right now and I'm the host. She is simply one of the pillars of our church community. She is full of wisdom and love and kindness. She is a mother to everyone in her path, and I have so many memories of seeing her pray over others. Dawn exudes unconditional love. It just oozes out of her. It almost makes no sense that her childhood was empty of unconditional love. It is so amazing what God can do with someone willing to be molded by Him. I hope you hear the beauty of God the Father in Dawn's story, how He can use the bad for His good, and take someone that felt broken and defeated to grow a rich ministry. Here's Dawn. Hey! <laughs> it's the, the crazy month of may Simber, and you're all here, and we're so grateful. Um, I'm Erin Carroll, and this is my sweet friend Dawn Turner, and um, so many of you here know Dawn, but for those that don't, I'm going to let her tell you who she is. Okay. Well, I am married to the one and only Steve Turner. (laughs) I am mom to Kristen Faith and Ryan Timothy. I am mother-in-law to Jenny and Josh. And I am Gigi to um, uh, Cohen, Judah, Hudson, Eleanor Grace. And I'm mama down to an awful lot of people. And on top of that, I am also the preschool director here at Shandon. Yeah. That's, and that's a, a big role, and so many people here love you because of that role and other roles that you and your husband have played at this church. But um, where'd you grow up? Um, I actually grew up in Middle Tennessee, but I couldn't call one place home because my family moved a lot. I actually attended six different elementary schools and three different middle schools. Okay. So what was your home life like? Um, Home life was pretty difficult. I'm one of six. I have a brother and sister that are 13 and 14 years older than me, a brother a couple of years younger, and then I have twin brothers that are nine years younger than I am. And our parents were alcoholics, and um, they were alcoholics to the worst, um, where that they would drink so much that they would often pass out, and that would leave us to kind of take care of ourselves. So what was it like? living with alcoholics? Um, It was very difficult. Um, This is an area of my childhood that I don't like to go there. Um, But for my father, I want to believe that the alcoholism led to his violent behavior. He was extremely abusive uh, verbally, emotionally, and even psychologically. And I could handle that part. Uh, But it's the physical abuse um, that was really hard to take. Being hit by your father is very difficult. I can recall being kicked across the room trying to protect my mother from him. Um, I can recall being pushed up against the wall so hard that I would hit the floor or his handprint 
being left on the side of my face or finding bruises on my arm where he grabbed me so tightly. So home wasn't very pleasant. How old were you when this was happening? Really and truly, um, I don't recall a time when it wasn't. Mm. I don't recall a time when it wasn't. Were the authorities ever involved? Oh yeah, Um, the police would often come to our house, but the same thing would happen. Sometimes my father would be arrested, Um, my mother would be taken to the emergency room, Uh, but then they would both return and act like nothing ever happened. Um, I learned about six years ago that my older brother and sister lived through the same kind of childhood, Mm. and we had no idea. So did she stay with him? Did your mom stay with him? Uh, no, she finally filed for divorce. That meant things got a whole lot worse before they got better. Did she remarry? Yes. Mm-hmm. Sadly, very shortly after her divorce was final, she remarried a man, just like my dad. Mm-hmm. Um, and the abuse kind of escalated when she got pregnant with my twin brothers. And then it turned really ugly toward me. Um, I was sexually abused by my stepfather. Um, This was very difficult for me because as a child, when you are molested, you don't know who to tell because you don't know what to tell. You don't know how to verbalize what is happening to you. Um, And at that time in my life, there really wasn't anyone that could see the signs. The signs were there, but there was no one to recognize them. When I did finally decide that I was gonna tell someone, I wanted to tell my mother. Did you do it? I did, I thought she was sober enough. And when I told her, um, at first she thought I was exaggerating. But as I kept talking, she realized what I was saying was the truth. But she defended him by saying that he was just drunk and he didn't know what he was doing. And did the authorities get involved this time? No. 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 So how, about how old were you when this was going on? It started when I was about eight years old. Okay. Um, was there anything that you tried to do to defend yourself? Yeah. I tried my best to defend myself by, at nighttime because it's typically when it would happen. I would take the covers and I would tuck them under my legs mm. and I would tuck them under my back to try to keep him from touching me. But it didn't help. That's all you could think to do? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So sorry. Um, it's a really dark childhood, and most of us probably can't even imagine that dark of a childhood, and I'm just so sorry. But were there, um, and your mom was an alcoholic, but were there any sweet memories of her? Well, actually, There were, Um, but they're kind of quirky. My mother married my father when she was 13. She was probably trying to escape her childhood as well. Um, She had her first child at 15, and she had my twin brothers when she was 40. So my mom had a very limited skill set, but one of the things that she could do and do really well was laundry. But I'm not talking about throwing them in the washer and taking them out of the dryer and folding them. I'm talking about taking a bottle of liquid starch, putting it in a Coke bottle with a sprinkler head on them, and shaking the clothes down, and then ironing them at night. And she could work some amazing magic with a hot iron. 
I mean, they make the clothes just look pristine. Mm. But one of the nights when she was doing the ironing, um, there was a knock at our door. And there's two police officers. And they're to, they're to inform my mother that my stepfather has been killed in a car wreck. Mm. And I remember this rush of relief that overwhelmed me. I wasn't sad. I wasn't afraid. I was relieved mm -hmm. because that many couldn't touch me anymore. So what can you remember thinking about your dad and your stepfather and how that made you feel as a child? For me, with my father and my stepfather, I don't think either loved me, much less loved me unconditionally. So I didn't know how to give it or receive it. So I was very confused. And about how old were you when he died? I was going into middle school. Okay. I was, about se I was in the seventh grade. Okay. So you're going into those middle and high school years. What were those years like? Well, mom, after the death of my stepfather, she moved us to a little town. I think she wanted to give us a fresh start. And we started going to church. And there was a Sunday school teacher named Miss Shirley who took an interest in me. And she invited me to a youth evangelism conference. And I had no idea what that was. But what I liked, was that? <laughs> I liked Miss Shirley, and she invited me to go on a trip. So at age 13, mm -hmm. at a youth evangelism conference, I accepted Jesus Christ as my personal Lord and Savior uh -huh. at Vanderbilt University. Uh, and it was really easy for me. Yeah. It was easy for me to admit that I was a sinner. It was easy for me to accept Jesus as my Savior. I love that you say that, because I think that's such a hard thing for adults even, but especially teenagers to, to just know it. Like how, how, how were you a sinner? How did you recognize yourself as a sinner and not a victim? I think because I had seen so much ugliness in my life, it was easy for me to see the sin in my life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So you recognized that you were a sinner, but that could you grasp that Jesus could unconditionally love you? No, I remember coming back from this conference. I knew that if I died that night, I would go to heaven. Mm. But what I couldn't understand was unconditional love. I just could not comprehend what that was. It was really, really hard for me because yeah. my circumstances didn't change. Mm -hmm. In fact, there was another man in my mother's life. And when he attempted to touch me, I stopped Gosh. him. And when he attempted to touch me for the second time, I went to my mother and I said, it's not going to happen again. And she reacted and he was gone. Praise the Lord. Mm -hmm. Yeah. God. So um, you're a teenager in high school. Mm -hmm. And what was that like? Um, I entered high school a very awkward, shy, <laughs> timid um, Young lady, searching for validation, I was just looking for someone to notice me and to love me. Um, I started dating a guy. I knew his family from church. So to me, it was a picture-perfect family. It was a mommy and a daddy, siblings. And when we started dating, I fell in love, not just with him, but with his family. And this family, they took me in. They invited me to family dinners and family vacations. I was even included in family pictures. So this was really big for me. Yeah, I mean, it was yeah. the opposite of right. what Every, you'd experience. 
And I was determined to do anything and everything I could to be a part of this family's life. Like what? When I was a senior in high school, mm. I found out that I was pregnant. And when I went to him, he said, um, we can't do this. We've got to talk to someone. And I'm like, who are we going to talk to? He called his Sunday school teacher. And his Sunday school teacher met with us. And his Sunday school teacher told us, told me that if I went through with this pregnancy, that I would not only ruin his life, I would ruin my life, and I would ruin his parents' life. That his parents would hate me, they would disown me, and I would be a disgrace to his family. And I couldn't let that happen. That Sunday school teacher gave us the money, and on a cold January day, we went to a clinic in Nashville, Tennessee, and I made a decision that affects me to this day. I had an abortion. I can still recall being on that surgical table and rocking back and forth and saying over and over and over again, I can't do this, this is wrong. I can't do this, this is wrong. The only comfort I received was from a doctor that said, don't worry, this will be over soon. I left that clinic a very damaged young lady. Yeah. Yeah. And at the time, were you, were you able to tell anybody besides no. the Sunday school teacher and, and him? No. No. There was, there was no way for me to even process it. I was just numb. And what happened to him? I don't know. Mm. Our relationship dissolved very quickly. And I went through the rest of my senior year kind of in a fog. There wasn't anyone there to guide me or direct me into what to do after high school. So I did the, what I thought was the best uh, decision. I took a job in a bank in a town about an hour away. And a reason why I took this job is I could work during the day and they would pay for me to go to school at night. Awesome. Yes, I thought it was, the, I thought it was a great choice. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> And you kind of broke free a little bit mm -hmm. by getting away. Um, so did your, your working, your working woman and young, young girl going to school, did you meet anybody else? Yes, I met a guy. Once again, <laughs> again. his family's very involved in church. He's very involved in church, even, you know, had talked about possibly going into the ministry. We start dating, and I'm telling you, it is a whirlwind of a romance. Before I know it, I'm engaged. His mother and aunt, sisters, they're planning a wedding. His parents are giving us property to build a home. We're getting married. We're having bridal showers. It's act, acting so, I mean, it's, fat, it's happening so fast. The whole thing. Yes. You're all in. Mm-hmm. So, did you get married? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. Um, on the day, we're going to get our marriage license. You know how close you are to getting married when you're getting your marriage license? You're married. Okay. You're almost mm -hmm. married. Um, he decides that's the day that he needs to tell me that he's sleeping with his best friend's wife. So, I quietly, calmly tell him. Tell us how that went down. <laughs> <laughs> calmly, I just let him know that this engagement was over and we were not getting married. But I left that day feeling so defeated because every single man in my life had betrayed me. Mm. 
every man had hurt me, wounded me so deeply. Yeah, yeah. So, and you, you accepted Christ at the evangelism conference. Your Sunday school teacher scarred you. Where was the Lord in your life at this time, after this breakup? The Lord was in my life, but basically I just had fire insurance. There was not a relationship, not at all. So where do you go from there? Well, I decided I'm just not gonna date. Dating for me is just not a good thing. Um, The little (laughs) bank that I'm working at, we're going through this conversion. So this is like six or seven months later. And we're going through a conversion where we're going from a community bank to a national bank. And that's a big deal. So all the departments are involved. And so there's two people from HR. They decide that I need to go on a date. And they didn't decide I need to go on a date. I mean, really? (laughs) Okay. HR. HR. That's good. And there's this guy in the computer department named Steve Turner. See, oh, oh, it's a love story now. So they set Steve Turner and I up to go on this date. Now, we could not be more opposite. Now, he is born in the city with concrete under his feet, and that is not me. But I decided we could go and have fun. And our very first date, I just knew he was so different. How? Well, first of all, he was really easy to talk to, and he made me laugh, like, you know, laugh out loud laugh. And... All of a sudden, neither one of us were looking for a dating relationship. I promise. But HR made you. (laughs) HR. And before I knew it, we're dating. We are dating. And he is pursuing me like I have never been pursued before. Um, Our first date was on July the 18th. On July the 26th is my birthday. He gave me a Bible for my birthday. A Bible. And on the front... (sighs) He engraved my name, but we were so new in our relationship, he didn't even know how to spell my middle name. (laughs) And he just had to put an S. Oh. (laughs) But on the inside of the Bible, he wrote, may Christ always be the center of your life. And I thought to myself, what in the world does that mean? Mm -hmm. I had no idea. And so I started watching this guy. And for the first time in my life, I had someone to model for me what a personal relationship with the Lord looked like. I had someone to model for me what it meant to really pray. His relationship with the Lord was so evident, I didn't have to ask him anything. Mm. So how did your walk with the Lord start to change by watching that? Well, I immediately, I wanted to read my Bible. I wanted to study scripture. I wanted to learn how to pray. I mean, it, it was everything. Um, so as you're growing in your relationship together, um, and you're serving the church together, like you start going to church with him, um, what did he know about your story? He knew absolutely nothing. He knew I had a difficult childhood, but that's about it. Steve has been bivocational in ministry since he's 17. So he's been in ministry, but he knows nothing about my story. Mm-hmm. And would you just say like, it's hard and I want to talk about it? Right, and he had met mother, and he knew that mother was an alcoholic, so he knew he had some idea, but he knew, didn't really know anything. So how, how did you tell him? Well, about six months after we're dating, he proposes. Oh. And the way he proposes first before he presents the ring, he reads 1 Corinthians 13, and he actually gives it to me on this decorative plate. And then when he proposes, I am 
I am grinning from ear to ear. It, it is by far the happiest day of my life. I cannot believe that this guy has proposed to me. And that night, because he works at night and goes to school during the day, I go to school at night and work during the day. So when he goes to work, I go home. And I've got about an hour drive. And I get in the car. And no he, cell phones. No, no cell phones, no. no. <laughs> I get in the car and it hits me. I can't marry him. He can't marry me. It starts all over again. I'm not good enough for him. When he finds out what I have done, when he finds out what has happened to me, I will destroy his ministry. I will ruin him. He can't marry me. And so that is all the way home. So when I get home, I don't go in to see my mother. I run up the stairs because I know I've got to make this phone call. And when he picks up the phone, he knows immediately something's wrong. But I can't tell him. All I tell him is I have committed the unforgivable sin. And you can't marry me. I love you too much to let you marry me. He finally gets me to a point where I can tell him, I've just got to do it. I've just got to say it. And I say to him, I was molested as a child. And I had an abortion when I was in high school. And I waited. I waited to hear the words, I hate you. I waited to hear the words, I never want to see you again. Instead, what I heard was, I am so sorry for what you experienced as a child. He said, can I ask you something? I'm like, sure. He said, have you ever asked God to forgive you? I said, absolutely every single day of my life. And he says to me, don't, that's the problem. You see, the very first day you asked God to forgive you, he did. You've just never forgiven yourself. And he says to me, I love you, and I want to spend the rest of my life with you. For the first time in my life, I knew what unconditional love looked like. I was loved unconditionally. Yeah, yeah. Um, that story, I just have to pause and say that that act of grace by Steve and that commitment to each other and to the Lord overwhelms me so much because from that, a lifetime, their lifetime together started and this ministry that they joined in together for families and college students and children and people that are in this room and the people that will hear it on the podcast because they so committed to loving the Lord together and pursuing him together and that sweet act of grace it's just it, it's awesome so we're grateful so you got married <laughs> got married and you know you're loved unconditionally. Yes. We got married at age 20. Mm. Um, and we turned 21 when we got married. Um, we had been married about a year and a half when my mother accepted Jesus Christ as her Yay. personal Lord and Savior. Um, the very next month, she was diagnosed with terminal cancer. Mm. On Christmas Eve of that year, mother called Stephen out to her bedside, and she said, when something happens to me, would you take care of the boys? Steve, without hesitation, said, of course we will. 
When we left that night to drive to Steve's mom and dad, I said, what in the world are we going to do? And he says, I don't know, but God's got this. Christmas Day morning, my mother went home to be with the Lord, and we became parents of two, 12 year, two 13-year-old twin boys at age 22. I mean, people are laughing, but I'm like crying. <laughs> And what was that like for your marriage? It was very, very difficult. Not only did we have these boys, but coming into the marriage, I brought a lot of baggage. With the abortion, with the abuse, intimacy for us was very difficult at first. We had to have what we call late night wrestling matches with each other because there wasn't counseling, it just wasn't readily available. So we had to educate ourselves what we were dealing with because I didn't know the difference between mm-hmm. a good touch and a bad touch. So we really had to learn one another. Yeah, so I mean his touch, your daughter's in the room, but his touch <laughs> <laughs> reminded you of Right, it was things, a trigger. Even though it was the complete opposite. Right. It just brought things to your brain. Yeah, so y'all, had to work through all of that, and how, how could you not have to work through that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And raising the boys, and um, it's just a lot for a sweet little young couple. Well, we had two couples in a church, in our church, that really kind of took us under their wing, and they really made sure that we always remembered that we were a couple before we were a parent, mm-hmm. and we still, we still try to do that. Mm-hmm. And so as you and Steve pursue the Lord together, and he's leading you, and y'all are walking together, um, where did you see your faith tested? Well, um, our first child, who is in the room, um, she was born nine weeks premature. She weighed two pounds and two ounces. She was born at Vanderbilt, and you don't go to Vanderbilt if everything's good. Um, Vanderbilt told us that she had a 20% chance of living, and if she did live, she would have multiple medical issues. She had a grade three intracranial bleed. She had a heart murmur. Um, but we praise God that she is our miracle and uh, she is doing fabulous. And 26 months later, not only do we have a baby girl, we have a healthy baby boy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and you had to learn not just to lean on Steve. Right, right. But to lean on the Lord. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, he had to be your rock. And so, and both of your kids have two kids. That's right. Just miraculous. Mm, Yeah, we have four under the age of three. So we are one busy family. Yes. And so at some point, you and Steve began to use yourselves and your story to impact others. And God led you into ministry. Mm -hmm. Um, And at this point, you've only told one person your story, Steve. So how did you decide to tell somebody else? I was actually at a BSF lecture, and it was around Easter time, and the leader had us stand and go through this exercise where we visualized that we were standing at the foot of the cross, and she had us to drop our hands to our sides and open our hands and lift our our head up so we were gazing at the cross. And she had us to visualize Jesus' blood being shed and that it was just covering us from our head to our toes. And she said to us, there is absolutely nothing in your life, no matter how big or how small, that that blood does not cover. 
And I left that lecture that day and I went straight to my church. And I said, I need to see the senior pastor. That doesn't happen. (laughs) But he had an opening and I walked in and I told Brother Dean my story. And I said, Brother Dean, I am ready for God to use the good, the bad, and the really, really ugly. And he just looked at me and he said, are you sure? And I said, absolutely. Mm. But I get in the car and it hits me. Mm. I can't tell others until I tell my own kids. Mm. So I go home that night and I sit them on the couch with their daddy. And I look them in the eye and I share with them what their mom has done. And I said, mom had an abortion when she was in high school. God has forgiven her. Your daddy has forgiven her. Now I'm asking you to forgive her. And they did. It was the hardest conversation I've ever had in my life. And I asked Kristen a couple of weeks ago, I said, Kristen, do you remember about how old you were? And she, we both think they're between eight and 10. They were eight and 10 when I shared with them. So sweet. It's so good of you to tell them. Um, to this day, do you think you grieved your baby and processed all that happened and that you went through? I have, but it actually took going through breaking free, breaking free twice. Mm. Um, the first time, I just was not ready. I was not ready to handle it. But the second time, not only was I, I allowed myself to grieve, to heal, to be restored, and really to be delivered. So, it, but it did take. It took t- two times. Mm. So I love this scripture um, about the jars of clay and how. We are these cracked, broken jars of clay, and we've been chosen to carry the light of Jesus in these cracked vessels. Um, it's 2 Corinthians 4, 6 through 8. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars, in jars of clay to show that this All surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. And I know there's so much brokenness in this story, and it's so hard to tell that you are such a vessel for the light, and that light of Jesus just comes right in those cracks and we all get to we all get to witness it and we all get to know Jesus more because of you and I'm just I'm just grateful thank you um so you've had such a beautiful life of ministry as you serve children here at Shandon and other churches and you all serve families and couples Um, Talk to me about what kind of influence a person can have on a child's life. Well, I think back to Miss Shirley. And if it hadn't been for Miss Shirley, I fear that I would be in the same cycle, my mother. But because of Miss Shirley taking an interest in that awkward young girl, I came to know the Lord. And I feel very strongly, Aaron has heard me, several of you have heard me, very strongly and very passionately when it comes to kids. Our kids deserve the best. They deserve the best Bible teachers, the best worship leaders, the best Baba buggy pushers, the best Lego builders, and the best rocking chair walkers. And our, I mean, we have an opportunity to influence children spiritually. 
And I take that very, very seriously. Um, in the morning when I pray over our org chart, our org chart tells me who's in what classroom and what room they're in. And when I look at that org chart, I don't see a classroom without a teacher. I see a child without an influencer. And that breaks my heart. So let's, let's give a little Shandon Kids plug. Okay. okay. So <laughs> what, can peop, what can people do? You. <laughs> <laughs> We have opportunities not to serve, but to influence kids. You see me, one of the Jennifers, and I, we will get you plugged in. There is a spot for you. Yes, there today. is. Today. Yes. Um, I've witnessed, I've, I've benefited, received you so passionately coming to the Lord in prayer on behalf of others. You stopped me in the hall and just prayed right there, me towering over you. Um, but you it's, it's convicting to me because I don't just do that. You see people, you see their need, and you stop and you pray. And how did that become such a prominent place in your walk with the Lord? I don't really know. Um, like, I, would, wrong with yeah, um, I would say, if I had to... Um, to guess, I would say I'm one of those people that I read God's word. If he tells me to go, I go. If he tells me to give, I give. If he tells me to pray, I pray. So yeah. it's just that simple. Yeah, it is. Yeah. So how do you pray for your own kids and grandkids? Oh, now you're talking my sweet spot. Um, I begin, especially with my, ch- my own children and my grandchildren, I claim a verse for them. They have a life verse, and it's displayed in my house, and they know their life verse. Um, but I begin every morning playing their life verse because I know scripture will, it won't return bored. And for my husband and my kids, I keep um, a little prayer journal that has scripture that I claim for them all year long. Mm-hmm. So that's just something that I do and I love to do. Yeah. How are you like the woman at the well? Oh, goodness. Um, I know what it feels like to go to the well in the heat of the day because of rejection, the fear of rejection. Um, I know what it feels like to chase after love that doesn't last. Um, I know what it feels like trying to drink in all the wrong things, just hoping to feel anything but shame. And I know what it feels like for Jesus to extend that living water, even though my life is so messy. Mm. So where do you invite him to meet you every single day when you realize how much you need him? Every day I need him. I'm so thankful that his mercies are new every morning. Um, I know without the sacrifice he made on that cross, I'm not able to boldly proclaim that I am a daughter of the king that is unconditionally loved. Unconditionally loved, yeah. So I have one more um, scripture to read that we all agreed reminds us of you and your story. It's from Genesis 50, 20. um, And Joseph had been sold um, into slavery by his brothers. He... um, was accused by Potiphar of something he didn't do. Um, He was in jail. And then um, he was out of jail and had all these dreams that God gave him and saved all these lives. Um, So it was a pretty pretty rough existence and betrayal by his family. But Genesis 50, 20 says, 
You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good, to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. And um, Jesus has just redeemed your whole story. And your life is one that's been saved, and we're so grateful. But now you get to testify every single day to our kids and to us, and you're saving many lives by sharing the gospel. And we're so grateful. Love you. Isn't it amazing that Dawn decided to choose God in the midst of her childhood? With everything that happened to her so young, she could have felt abandoned and overlooked. But God had a plan for her. Her story was not going to end with abuse. God wanted her. Dawn said, There is nothing that I have done and nothing I could ever do to be worthy of his love. Dawn didn't cause the bad, and she did not earn the good. God had a plan, though. Dawn chose God for her Savior to forgive her and walk with her. But it did take her a minute to figure out what that meant. She said she had fire insurance. She was forgiven, but she wasn't growing. Her relationship with the Lord was not developing. Some of that was because she couldn't fully grasp the meaning of unconditional love. God gave her Steve, who modeled that intimate relationship that seeks God first. And Steve demonstrated unconditional love in ways that she couldn't have understood without him. With Dawn's broken childhood and God's healing mercy, he had plans for her. He has used Dawn to grow a rich, nurturing children's ministry at our church. He has used Dawn to minister to young moms. The fruit of her walk is far-reaching, and God did that. God's plan is greater than what we could ever imagine. Only God can use tragedy for good. At the end of the live event, we sing a song called Build My Life. The lyrics go, I will build my life upon your love. It is a firm foundation. That struck me after Dawn's story. Because this world, there's nothing firm about it. We cannot depend on the world. God's love is the only foundation that's worthy of building our life on. And when we do, He will grow His kingdom through us. How many of us are fully accepting God's plan for our lives and not letting our circumstances or our poor choices define us? God defines us. What if we all said yes to God's plan? What if we all got out of our own heads and said, this thing that happened to me, that's not my story. God has more in store for me. What if we each responded to that tug to serve and let God work through us? God's plan is absolutely the best, but we will never know what it is if we tell God we can't. Thanks for joining us on this podcast today, guys. We are going to take a respite over the summer, and we will be back with The Well in August. We do have a July event on July 10th. Rosaria Butterfield is coming at 6 p.m. Tickets are available on the website. Come join us.